Today, we are talking to a former foster youth to take a look at child welfare from the ones affected by it. Join us today on Fostering the Future. Welcome to the Fostering the Future podcast, a show about all things child welfare, dependency, adoption, and foster care. Here are your hosts, veterans in the world of child welfare, Jack and Kat. We believe that every human has incredible and equal value regardless of what side of the courtroom we sit on. We hope that everyone feels welcome and accepted here on Fostering the Future. Make sure you follow us on Facebook or Instagram as Fostering the Future Podcast, or check us out on our website at fosteringthefuturepodcast.org. This is Jack, and I am not here with Kat. Today, I am here with Mac, and we also have a special guest in the studio, Madeline. Thank you so much for being here, Madeline. Thank you for having me. To get things started off, we have a very serious question to ask you. What is your favorite drink at Starbucks? Um, I like the caramel frappuccino. I've never had that. You've never had it? No. We're going to Target today. I mean, (laughs) sounds like it. Madeline, I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about your experience in foster care. I was living with my mom and my stepfather and my little brother, um, but my stepfather and I never really got along. And so eventually him and my little brother moved out because there was just too much conflict all the time. My mom and my grandma were pretty much taking care of me. I had a lot of mental health stuff going on at the time. So I was just like getting Baker acted multiple times a month. Eventually there was like one night where I initiated like a physical conflict with my mom. And so I was Baker acted and then I was at a facility and my mom didn't pick me up. Case management came and put me in a temporary foster placement overnight from the Baker Act facility. And from then on, neither one of my parents would like take me back after we went to the first court hearing. How old were you when that was 14. I went overnight to the temporary foster placement um, and they ended up deciding to move me, which was just like a really horrible group home in St. Pete. It wasn't like a therapeutic group home. It was just kind of like do whatever. And it was in a bad area, which I wasn't in the mental space to just have the freedom to do whatever. I mean, most kids in that position aren't. There were termites in the showers. I wasn't showering for like a week and a half because I didn't want to be covered in termites. And it was just all over. The girls were like constantly arguing with each other. So I ran away multiple times. I I feel like anything would probably feel safer than that. I feel like that's personally setting a kid up for failure. not showing them structure or like that anybody even cares about them. My first placement too. So I didn't have um, a guardian ad litem yet. They moved me all the way to St. Pete and I was from Pasco. So I wasn't really seeing a caseworker very often. I didn't have a number. My mom, for some reason, got to decide whether or not I could have a phone. So I wasn't able to like contact anybody. Um, I had a temporary caseworker. Like, I guess he wasn't even my caseworker. He was just somebody I sat with in the office, but that's who I had the number for. So I was just kind of like stuck there. So I kept running until they Baker acted me. 
I was flushing my meds because I was so dizzy that I couldn't see. I couldn't even like see people in front of me. So I didn't do well at my new foster placement at all. Um, so I ended up being Baker Acted again. And then I was finally moved to a therapeutic group home in St. Pete. And it just like completely changed my life for the good. So I haven't heard about therapeutic group homes. What is it like? So it's not like a residential facility. Like I was going to school in St. Pete. There's just kind of like different rules where there is a lot more structure. Um, So like I couldn't go to like friends' houses outside of school. We were always with the staff members. You know, they could put you in therapeutic holds if they needed to. So I feel like that was the biggest difference. There were cameras, not in the rooms, but outside the rooms. But we had a therapist in the group home that we would see weekly. And just the staff was like, you could tell they just genuinely cared about you. They don't get paid much. So it was right. like they showed up every week despite like the girls being Yeah. We were all going through a lot, so yeah. it's understandable. But they showed up every week just like with love. So it oh. wasn't like forced. That's really cool. Obviously that was very different from the non therapeutic group home that you were in. While you were there, there was staff that came daily, but it wasn't like a family environment or did it kind of start to feel like that? So there were staff that did different shifts, but I don't think I got in trouble once while I lived there. So I just really connected with the staff. So it did feel like they were my family. Like I looked forward to all of them coming in. It was the first time in my whole life that I had really felt just like unconditionally loved and I thrived. I know not all the girls that went to that group home had that experience, but I personally did. It really set like the path for the rest of my life. So I'm really grateful. Were you in that therapeutic group home until you aged out or what happened? No, I actually was the quickest graduate because I wasn't getting in any trouble. So my grandmother ended up taking me in for permanent guardianship. And then I got pregnant in my junior year of high school. And my grandma ended up kicking me out when my daughter was two weeks old. My case was closed at this point, And my guardian ad litem that I was very close with, she took my daughter and I into her home. So it was kind of like... Your guardian ad litem did? Yes, my old guardian okay. ad litem. So I lived with her until I aged out. And now my daughter and I live just us two. Wow. Yeah. So you support yourself and your daughter? Yes. Am I correct that you also attend college? Yes. If you don't mind sharing, what do you want to do when you finish college? I want to do nursing. I'm really proud of you because I want to do all that. And I have my mom's help and I'm not there yet. It takes a lot just to like live life when you're struggling with mental health issues, even with good support. But the fact that you have had very limited support for you to have come through that and be who you are and successfully raising your child and going to like, I, wow. Even with the therapeutic group home, like the biggest thing that has been consistent in my life is my therapist. I would not be the mom I am today without her. Like she sets the example of like somebody who loves their kids and cares about their kids and who just pours so much into every single kid that she works with. Just her support during my pregnancy and her just constant support even now and just reminding me that I'm doing a good job when I don't have anybody else doing that is like one of the biggest things that has kept me on track. I know she's a big fan of you. (laughs) What do you think that the foster care system did well in your situation? I had Judge Tepper and she was like, my she made me cry just because she was so amazing to me it was just the first time that somebody had called out my parents for like anything they'd done and like I know my dad showed up to court drunk so she just like ripped into them I had felt so invalid it's more so with my mom because it was like she wasn't 
abusive. She wasn't on drugs. It was like failure to protect. I mean, she didn't pick me up. The judge was like, you were the parent, you know, there is no reason that this child should have been Baker acted like 16. I was Baker acted 16 times. Wow. Um, and like 12 of those were in one year. So just having, I would say the judge was the biggest one who I feel like did things right. So I've got literal goosebumps because I love her. I've had a few cases in her courtroom and she would make me cry on the regular because of how compassionate she is about kids, but also understanding. And, you know, yeah, she would like tear parents up for making bad choices. I remember I was in her courtroom one time and she was talking to this parent who was refusing to get clean, refusing to do drug tests, just completely non-compliant with the case. In the beginning, she was, you know, she was being very tough on her. And then she said, listen, this is all stemming from some type of trauma that you've experienced. And I've looked in your records or I've looked at your history. I know what happened to you when you were a kid. I know what your mom didn't protect you from. And that is probably the root of all of this trauma that you are struggling with that is leading to the self-medicating with the drugs. This woman who the mom had been standing there like, you're not going to tell me what to do, like whatever. I don't care what you say. Like, I'm going to do what I want. When Judge Tepper said that, her whole face changed and she started bawling and literally agreed right then for the first time to go to rehab. And I'm sitting there like, like just a mess on the floor. But seeing how she like, yeah, she was tough on you, but she was very protective of kids. And if you mess with kids in her courtroom, like watch out. Right. But also to understand that these choices that people make are coming from something and to want to help them with that trauma and not just punish them because in helping them she's also helping the kids you know what do you think the foster care system could have done better there's a lot of things i feel like they should screen their caseworkers better i know it's like an overflowed job already but also just like following up with the kids after they're moved into placements and not just like throwing them somewhere and just being like this is where you are there's no other place for you to go because it's really hard and confusing just feeling like you're stuck somewhere with people you don't know where you don't even feel safe you can't get out nobody is there to to get you out i'm just screening placements better there are group homes that should be shut down because of the conditions they're in nobody that i've seen has made a big effort to look into that and really change that so just not treating kids like they're not humans like they don't have basic rights of feeling safe and loved and cared for because that's what all kids deserve if you're going to remove kids from their home for an unsafe situation then you owe it to them to put them in another safe home. I don't understand how group homes are allowed to exist, except I also know that there just aren't enough foster homes. From my perspective, and I've never been in a group home, but I've talked to a lot of kids who have, and it kind of just sounds like they're dropped off and they're there and people come in and feed them, but nobody's parenting them. Nobody's watching them. Nobody's monitoring them. And that's not appropriate for any kid, let alone a kid who's already experienced trauma. Kids are kids and they need to be protected and like looked after and they need to know that they're loved because if you don't, I feel like you're just going to keep repeating the cycle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like that terrifies me for like anybody in group homes. 
Like, yeah. it terrified me when my kids first got removed because I was like, I don't know what situation they're going in. Are they going to be loved or are they going to, like, yeah, have we somebody... Yeah, we didn't them at all. <laughs> have somebody who doesn't take care of them. And Because before any of this, all I heard was, like, foster parents did it for money. Now I know that's not true. <laughs> now because... she knows how much money we get and she <laughs> Because laughs. I've seen how much she's spent on my kids. But I was like, what's going on with my kids? I messed up. Yeah. But, like, I don't want somebody else to mess up on my kids, too. I talked to a lot of foster kids who are like, I wish someone had called a report in earlier because things were happening long before right. anybody knew anything. I wish someone would have helped me so I wasn't stuck in that situation. Yeah. But once they're pulled out of that situation, we need to be giving them safe places to go. Right. And I, I think the big solution is having more foster parents. If a child cannot be with their biological family, the best case scenario for them is as normal as possible, whether that's a relative yeah. or non-relative that they can safely go to. But if not, and if they have to go with strangers, then a home with a family and parents is better than being in a facility. I'm glad you were my stranger. <laughs> glad I was your stranger too. Were there any individuals from the foster care system that made a positive impact on you? I mean, all of the women at my group home did in their own way, but there was like a few that like, they weren't much older than me, but I called them my mom. I had missed all of ninth grade, but they got me back in school and... I was getting straight A's when I lived there. I was on the basketball team. Straight A's. Yeah. And it was a pretty good school. So it was like. And you were doing athletics. Yes. So I was just constantly busy, but I liked that. And then my therapist, she was my therapist when I was younger, but she did my eval. They had them do a psych eval on me. So she did it, even though I lived in St. Pete at the time. And she was just kind of like, you need to get it together. She was really hard on me, but I needed it after we had that talk where she was like, you can keep doing what you're doing. But she was really blunt. She was like, but you might end up dead. You have to choose to go the other way or it's not going to end well. Just after that conversation is when I really tried. I realized that like I was wasn't going to let my parents' mistakes and my parents' disconnection from me define the rest of my future. So, I mean, I don't think that if I would have been in my mom's house to this day that I would be where I am. So, Do you have a resentment against your mom for not coming to pick you up? We sort of have a relationship now. It is a resentment, but in therapy, I've had to work so much on my self-worth. It has felt if the one person who was supposed to love me in this world because it feels like they don't love you when your own parent can just give up on you. It has really just been a big struggle back and forth of what was so wrong with me that, I mean, both of my parents couldn't take me because my dad was like, I'll take her. And then he, they told him that they would have to do visits to check up. And he was like, oh, I don't want that much scrutiny on me. After that, it just kind of felt like I just wasn't lovable and I wasn't Like, worthy. why wasn't I worth the fight? Right. So it has set up a big struggle. Even now, when I, when I see her, it's like she still failed me because she had all that opportunity to get me back because of the situation with my stepdad. She didn't try for reunification. It was on the table for like a year, but we all knew it wasn't going. I don't know why they didn't like go for adoption, but they just kept pushing reunification, even though all the people involved were like, she's not she's not going to take you back. So I would say it's just more of like a a misunderstanding of her. And now that I have my own daughter, I wouldn't give up on her for the world. She set me up for failure in a lot of ways. So 
And I think it's also something that I've heard a lot of people who've been in that situation say. So I don't think you're alone in feeling that way. I mean, I'm sure. And you've been through therapy. So like, you've got to know how incredibly valuable you are. And to go from a situation where you didn't have like a supportive mom to being a supportive mom, it's like making something out of nothing. Like nobody taught you how to do that, how to be there and never give up on a kid, but you're doing it. All of those questions, like to someone on the outside, it's like, how could someone feel like that? Like, look at this amazing human being. But I know that of course that's how you would feel because that's you know, that's supposed to be your person. I feel like it was easier to not be angry with my dad, even though he was the worst parent, because I understood that he had an addiction. And I understood that it wasn't that he was choosing not to love me. It was just that he was struggling so bad with this, that it was like, he couldn't see me. He couldn't see past what he was fighting with. Whereas like with my mom, it felt like a choice not to put in that effort. And like, she was choosing a person over me. Whereas like my dad had just been drinking for so long that I didn't even know who he was. Right. And it wasn't someone that you had like a great previous relationship with that you lost. Right. What I see a lot is a lot, a lot, especially in domestic violence situations where the dad is abusive to the mom or the kids. And the reason the mom ends up losing the kids is because she can't give up the guy. And I feel like even though that's not the same situation, that that's how I can best understand it. Because like I see these kids and I know how much that mom loves that kid. But there's something in her that just keeps bringing her back to this guy who keeps beating her up. And she can't get her kids. Like, I think that a lot of them think I can have both. Yeah. And they can't. A judge is very unlikely to place a child back in a home where she's still got this guy coming right. and abusing her and the kids. Years ago, I had a case that was very much like that. They just kept getting close to the reunification and the guy would show up again. You're choosing this man instead of this kid. And I know how much you love the kid, but your actions aren't showing right. that, which is so hard. As like you've grown, the resentment probably comes into more of just an understanding of that's who she is. You know, I think we all have people in our life where you're like, I wish this person wasn't like this. I wish this person didn't do this to me, but that's who they are. I have to accept that that's who they are. Always remind myself, don't be disappointed because that's how that's going to play out. And that's what we've kind of been going through in therapy. Like you have to have low expectations and it's really hard because it's my mom and Of course, I want to believe that my little brother still lives with them. It's my stepdad's kid. And I see her being the mom to him that I've wanted since I was a little kid. So that's even more hard to accept. But I feel like lately I have just been like, for some reason that's bigger than me that I can't understand. There's always sort of been this disconnect I mean, even before the foster system between her and I, I can't put it on myself. So yeah, my kids weren't taken just once. They were taken twice. And I'm like, were you mad at me? Or or like when they get bigger, are they going to be mad at me? It's not like I wanted to choose addiction over my kids. I just, I didn't have the help I needed. I feel like I baby them more now. They don't get in as much trouble as they probably should because I feel bad that I didn't have them for so long. And that's what we talk about a lot. I'm like, you gotta be tougher on them so they can respect you because they need to be parented. They need the strict side of you too, but you're getting better at that. I am getting better. When I actually just talked to my doctor recently uh, you have to let it go because you can't change it and I'm like I know I can't change it I feel bad that I wasn't there for them when I should have been there and I couldn't be there and I wanted to be there yeah. And I'm thankful they had you because after hearing your story of them being in a group home, I wouldn't have had the support to get them back. I wanted to give up so many times yeah. and she'd be like, no, you're ass. not doing it. You're not. I was in rehab. I'm like, I'm leaving. And she's like, no, you're I not. Will. As an adult, it, like, it affects you now. Um, I would say that I don't express those feelings towards my mom 
because even now through all of this, I don't want to hurt her. Like it's, I feel this like very strong need to protect her. So I won't call her out on the things that I, I go to therapy and ball about every single week. I don't ever share with her because she's my mother. And at the end of the day, like I will always love her more than probably I love anybody else other than my daughter. I don't want to make her feel bad. You're trying to protect your parent, right. though she should have been protecting right. you. But I want my kids to call me out. I think it's more of a not feeling safe as like I feel like if I tell her she won't love me anymore. So I feel like as long as you're staying consistent, which it seems like you are just like making sure that they know that they can express that with you and you're still going to love them and you're still going to be there, that they will feel more comfortable doing that. I feel like if I tell my mom this, that she won't she won't want to be around me anymore. So I feel like it's just staying consistent and loving them and making sure they know that that's all that matters. Thanks for making me cry a little bit. <laughs> it's always good to have a good cry. Are you sure you don't want to go into therapy? <laughs> wow. <laughs> the women that were in that therapeutic group home that were mother figures to you, what was it that they did that helped you? Just the consistency of knowing that they would be there knowing that they loved me, knowing that they cared about my well-being and me succeeding. I felt like my cup had been empty for so long and then all of a sudden I had all these people pouring into it at once. It made it so much easier to like myself so because I had people reminding me I was worthy, that I could do it, that I was lovable, that this wasn't just like a defect. It was just that they were there. It wasn't just because it was a responsibility. It was because they, they loved They cared about you. Yeah. They showed you that they cared about right. you. I think that's one of the most important things that you can share with us is how we can, as foster parents, as social workers, as anybody who's involved in child welfare, how we can make this experience a little less crappy for the kids who are going through it, right? So being consistent, showing that you care and you're protective, showing them how valuable they are. I think for me as a mom, one of the things that I think is very important is showing kids how valuable they are because even though obviously all of their parents love them, regardless of their ability to parent, I mean, even the most unbelievable situations that some of my kids have gone through, their parents love them, even though they don't protect them sometimes. The thing that they often struggle with is their value because they're like, if the person who was supposed to value me the most in the world, and as a mom, like we know, we know who we value most in the world, our kids, right? You know, the world will tear them down. Yeah. They will go out into the world and people will treat them like crap and people will talk down to them and people will judge them, but we will build them up so that they can withstand that. I really feel like that's one of my most important jobs as a parent is to make each kid, whether they're with me for a day or for years or forever, to make them feel like they're the most valuable, important thing in the world to me. And I was thinking about recently, I say to my kids, I say to all of them, you know, you're my sunshine, right? You make my rainy days so much better. And I say that to all my kids. And I was thinking recently, I hope that doesn't make them feel bad when I say that to one of my other kids, but I want them all to know that I feel like I'm God's favorite. I feel like he loves me more than anybody else. And they're like, well, that's stupid. God loves everybody. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I feel like he loves me the most. And obviously God loves everybody, but the way that he makes me feel like he loves me the most is how parents should be. I should make my kid feel like I love them the most. Not like I love you more than your sibling. 
I love you like I could never love anyone to yeah. each one of them. Yeah. As an adult, the thing that we all struggle with a lot is value. Like, are we valuable? Are we worthy of other people's time and attention? Are we worthy of anything that we are given? And I, I feel like as parents, like it's so important for us to instill that in our kids. You are so freaking valuable, like especially kids who have had trauma or have been removed, whether it's for a week or for their whole life from their parents. I feel like they all struggle with that, especially. I feel like you do a good job on that with your kids, because remember when uh, you told Smushy that yeah. she was your favorite <laughs> and then she told her sister and then her sister was like, no, she told me I was her favorite. And I was like, oh, no. So I had to call you. And I'm like, I don't know which kid you told this to. Whoever I'm talking to, that's my favorite. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I want them to be like, ah, oh, stop loving me so much. Yeah. Stop thinking I'm so awesome. But they are awesome. Like everybody is awesome. Every human is awesome. Right. But especially these kids who go through so many challenges, you should know how awesome you are more than anybody on the planet. Yeah. But then they don't always have someone telling them that. So I definitely feel like we all could do a better job of that and that that's really important, especially for kids who are in foster care. So whether you're a social worker, a guardian ad litem, or a bio parent or a foster parent, like let's just all make these kids feel like they are our greatest treasure because they are. I'm kind of struggling with the concept of Baker acting, and I'm asking you this because you've experienced it. I feel like in some situations it's necessary. Yeah. However, from what I've seen in the foster care system, I feel like kids sometimes overuse it as a way of escape. I've had kids where they were like, when they got overwhelmed and didn't know how to handle their emotions, they would say, I'm going to hurt myself, call the police and tell them I'm hurting myself. Because they know in the past when they're in a situation where their emotions are too big and they don't know how to handle it, they can get Baker acted and go on vacation. I've been in the Baker Act facilities. So anytime a kid of mine gets Baker Acted, I'm there every visiting hour yeah. they let me. It's not a great, like, actually, sometimes, like, the nap times sound pretty enticing to me. I was going to say, so I like, like, <laughs> like, I've only been on the detox side. I would go back. Yeah. Like, so they I'm not saying it's great to have to be me. locked up. As a parent who definitely lacks sleep sometimes, I was a little jelly of all those nap times yeah, my kid has got. That I think that sometimes they use it as a way to either change placement because they'll be like, oh, I'm going to hurt myself and then get out or just because their feelings, their emotions are so big. A Baker Act is, has such an impact on a kid to do that as a punishment is not okay. So I feel like sometimes foster parents overuse it, especially with little kids. You cannot tell me that you had to Baker Act a five-year-old. Yeah. But it's done, and that is no, like, come on. No I've way. seen a six-year-old in a facility. Are you Five and six-year-olds, yes. They get Baker acted because they like, are acting out of control or like they're afraid they're going to hurt. Like, come on, they're fine. Pick them up. Pick them up and hug them. They'll be fine. I feel like it's overused by foster parents and overused by foster kids. I would say that I've had three different kinds of Baker acts. I mean, I've been Baker acted more than three times, but there's been times where I genuinely was doing those things because I didn't want to be here anymore. I can say one time, maybe twice, where I just was so overwhelmed. And this wasn't in foster care. This was at home that I just could not be at my... And I hated being Baker Active. It was like such a empty, sad experience for me. I felt alone. I felt shut out. The workers did not like me or anybody there. I didn't get to call my mom, which was like torture for me at the time, yeah. except for like 10 minutes for a night. There was two times where I did it because I was just really overwhelmed. So I did a big thing to go, to just get away from yeah, my like family. Yeah, like Yeah. And then I would say there was a lot of Baker acts that other people have even pointed out to me, like, why were you Baker acted? That were just because it was easier to not have me there. There there were some that wasn't warranted. There was one where they even asked my mom, do you want us to Baker act her? And I was like, please don't. Because I wasn't 
I wasn't threatening to hurt myself or anybody else. Um, and so you were being Baker acted for something that you didn't need to be Baker acted for. Yeah, I had my mom and I had gotten into an argument and I was walking around the neighborhood because I just knew that I was so angry that I just could not be around. You were her. trying to cool yourself off. Yeah. So she called the police because she was like driving around the neighborhood and I was yelling at her. I told the police, I was like, I'm not running away. I just I really cannot. I just need a few minutes. And they were like, so you're running away. And I was like, I literally just said I'm not running away. And so they gave it up to my mom and my mom ended up letting them Baker act me. And then one time she was sitting in front of the door with a chair. I was trying to move the chair and they told me that that was battery. So they Baker acted me and I ended up going to a residential facility. So just those wow. things where it's like, it's just an, I guess a, a police officer that was really nice one time told me if they're called for a call like that, they have to Baker act you. If there's like a certain criteria met that rings off a bell, it's a liability if they don't. It just kind of sucks. They give it out like candy. If you're even remotely unstable as a child, if you do anything that's like unsafe to yourself, it's like that's the first thing that they and they're called. They have to do that. It's a scary thing to tell yeah. someone don't Baker Act this kid because what if they end up hurting themselves when everybody else wanted to Baker Act them? But I also feel like sometimes you just got to like show them that you're going to be there for them right. even when they want to run away. So I don't know, like if a kid is trying to do it to escape. I'm like therapeutic group home, unless you had like actually hurt yourself, I feel like they did make an effort to like talk to you and just be like, how are you feeling right now? I feel like it's just important to have a conversation really about are you overwhelmed? Are you upset? Is there a reason that you don't want to be here right now that you are trying to leave? Since I entered that group home, I haven't gotten bait corrected. So it's been two and a half, three years now. Wow. Yeah. Um, what a difference, like, <laughs> the right support makes. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's just important to have that conversation, especially if you know the kid well and you know how they react in stressful situations or even just their demeanor. Like, you know that this kid doesn't actually want to die. Yeah. Unless they physically hurt themselves, I do feel like it's important to just have a conversation. Are you feeling something deeper than this that's just like you're overwhelmed and you want to tap out? So if you're able to have the conversation with them to try and talk them down before they get to the point where they're even like trying to get the police to come and take them. And just even offering, like if you have a big support system, offering another option of do you want to go stay with grandma or do you want to stay with somebody that would that be helpful do you just need to space for me right now yeah from your experience how would someone have been able to make you feel safe in my foster homes I showed up I was like I don't know if I can use their shower. I don't know if I can eat. Just those things. They would be like, eat whatever. And I wouldn't want to touch their stuff or like go into the shower. So maybe be specific about everything in here you can eat. Would you like this? Would you like that? Yeah, because I would go and not eat or I would just like not shower because I was too shy. And I feel like that's such a silly thing. But because of feeling like I just was a bother or like I didn't want to bother them even more just by being like, can I use your shower? Like something as simple as like that, where it was like, I think that it's just important to remember these kids haven't had the casualty of like a family or like that unconditional love that basic needs being met so even just those things are so important I was like miserable not taking care of myself because I was too nervous to like bother them I think another thing that's just so important for foster parents to remember because I feel like somebody said this one time they were complaining about their foster kid like a new foster kid acting out and it was just like foster kids have been through so much more than like a lot of adults ever go through and it's not fair like I feel like if you can't understand that they are not going to be perfect like nobody is but like yeah (laughs) 
they have attachment issues, they have abandonment issues, they have probably mental health stuff that's been going on because of just like they just lost their parents and just so much. It's not fair to expect perfection. And that expectation puts so much more feeling unsafe and feeling like anything you do is just going to be like, it never feels like home. So I feel like that, again, that was like the biggest thing about the group home was like, it felt like home. It felt like even if I messed up, I knew that it was going to be okay. Whereas like I messed up one time at my foster home and it was like, you're out. Just those things of remembering that like, if you're going to take on this commitment, like you have to know that they're not ever going to be perfect and that trauma is real and that it's so important to like get them in therapy. We've actually been talking on recent episodes specifically about trauma and how it affects the body and behaviors of kids. So we had um, both a trauma therapist and an occupational therapist interview with us recently and share and teach us about how trauma affects the bodies. And we talked a lot about how behaviors that you see, especially with these kids that are in foster care, aren't behaviors. They're symptoms of their trauma and it's communication of their needs. You know, you just have to expect that and and understand that the change is going to happen when they start feeling safe. When you start providing the services that they need and healing their trauma and start feeling safe and the consistency of your home, that those behaviors will change. Nobody's ever going to be perfect. No kid on the face of the planet has ever been perfect to expect children to come into your home from hard places and behave the way. And even if they are well-behaved, they might not know your rules everybody has different rules in their house whether you leave your shoes at the front door I think like we we need to maybe be more specific about how we offer these things to kids that are in our house so we don't just assume well they know there's the shower you know I feel like another big thing though is that like a lot of the kids have been through I mean sometimes physical neglect but big emotional neglect I learned very early that when I did something bad or when I did something big it got my parents attention that was how I got love so like you learn emotional manipulation like as a tactic to get what you need. I feel like kids, even in foster placements, might do that because they're not used to just getting love for being good or like just for being themselves. Like they have to like feel like they have to do something for somebody to remind them that like for me it was like you know when I got Baker acted that's when my mom would like hold me closer or like I was like using hurting myself using these things as like a way to get hurt to pay attention to me. I feel like that's another big thing is you have to remember that this is, I don't want to say coping skills, but things that they've learned to get their needs met. Well, and something that Miranda says is that the behaviors sometimes are the sword and shield of the child. That's how they've been able to survive in the environment they were in before. And some of these things they needed to do to get through. So I've definitely experienced kids where I could see that the behaviors were attention-seeking behaviors. And when I was able to just offer more attention one-on-one, maybe I take that kid when I do my Target run or like we go out for Starbucks, like those are my (laughs) go-tos, that those behaviors tend to subside a little bit. For our foster parents out there, If you could think back to little Madeline going into one of their homes, what is one thing that you would have wanted them to do to limit your trauma and help you be more successful? I guess just have a conversation with me when I get there about, and I know a lot of kids aren't as open. It's uncomfortable to talk about, especially with new people, but just like, like not keeping your expectations too high in the beginning, making sure that kids are connected to services, especially, I know foster parents get a blue book. You get information on the kid and what they've been through, even if they're not directly telling you. If you get them connected to services, get them a big support system, make sure that there are clear expectations, clear 
clear rules, what you can and can't do, and just like staying consistent with that. Again, just like making it known that they are loved, that they are worthy of your love, because I feel like you have to be a good foster parent. You have to actually love the kids that come into your home. Yeah, 100%. I know people who either aren't foster parents or new foster parents, and they're like, the thing that I'm scared of is getting attached. And it's like, that's what you got to do. You got to get attached. And your heart is going to be broken when they leave. And that's okay. Often, they don't actually really leave. (laughs) I just feel like that's how it should be. Like, my kids were with her for a good part of three years. A year and a half straight, I think. So, like, why would I take somebody that's loved them and supported them when I couldn't? I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that from them. And they both. They all have phones and they have her number. So I feel bad for her sometimes. <laughs> I get lots of texts. It doesn't matter how many times they text me. Every time they text me, it makes me smile. Yeah. And I love them. And like, I feel that way about a lot of kids who've been in my house. And you have to attach. Yeah. If you're not going to attach and willing to have your heart broken, then you shouldn't be a foster right. parent. But we need more foster parents. So just suck it up, people. <laughs> like, for our social workers out there, what could they have done for little Madeline to make her experience a little less traumatizing? Answered the phone. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't just be more in communication and check on you more. Yeah, because there was just like I said, it was just kind of like being thrown into a pond that you I didn't really know anything about foster care. So it was just kind of like, you know, I was sleeping. It was 4 a.m. You probably felt like you were being punished because it all started from a Baker Act. Right. I was being discharged that day. They kept saying my mom was going to come in two hours and she was going to come in two hours. And then it was like 1 a.m. and they were waking me up and they were like, DCF is here. And they took me to a stranger's house. It was like 3 a.m. when I got there. And I slept Why in a stranger's Why didn't they just home. let you stay one more night and not I do know. that in the middle of the night? Yeah, I met the woman and then I went into the bedroom with another kid sleeping in there. And it was just kind of like, like, it just, I don't know. It just, it really was confusing. It wasn't really explained to me that it was like an overnight placement. You know, you guys get information on the kids, but then the kids get no information on you. So right. It's kind of like, who am I going to meet? Right. What is their family like? How many kids do they have? But I feel like that makes you lose trust in adults because they're telling you your mom's coming, your mom's coming, your mom's right. coming. And then all of a sudden DCF shows up. Yeah. Like, I feel like after that, I wouldn't trust anybody. How has being in care shaped your adult life and relationships? I feel like I do have a big mistrust for people still. I want to be a foster parent. Like you said, I'm prepared to have my heart broken because I know that the kids need me more than I need them. It's just like with my daughter. I will give her everything I have, even if like, I mean, she just takes and takes and takes, but that's just (laughs) what kids do. And I'll just keep pouring because I'm her mom. I want to do that for kids that deserve that but didn't get it. So I feel like it's taught me a lot about who I want to be as a mother and just always making sure that my daughter knows even when I'm not perfect, even when I have bad days, I will I will love her. I will own up to my mistakes and then doing that for other kids in the future when when it's not just my daughter and I, hopefully, or when I, you know, have a more stable job, just taking in more kids and just being able to do what I wish that I had Had someone do for you right because I I feel sad every day that I didn't get adopted like it's just like I missed that opportunity to have a forever family that's what I was curious about and I wanted to ask you about that you had such a great experience in this therapeutic foster home but do you wish that you had been placed in a foster home and eventually adopted yes because it's like now holidays like it's it's just my daughter and I you know her dad isn't really involved you know of course I love spending them with her but it's like it makes me 
I feel sad that I don't have like a big family to spend it with and that I can't give her like a big family like the to big spend extended it with. Family. Yeah. So um, well, if you're not doing anything for Thanksgiving, we have a pretty big Thanksgiving over okay. here and you're welcome to come. Thank, Thank you. you. Can you give me a word to describe foster care? Broken. What would surprise most people to learn about being in foster care? I feel like people think it's just like an easy situation for people that, that can't take care of their kids, that don't want to take care of their kids, that it's just like an easy fix and it's really not. And it's just a lot of the times it does make things worse. Like that's not always a situation, but there's just so many things that are not worked out really is just like a different experience for everybody because it depends on the caseworker you get, foster parent you get. What is your self-care? routine. What do you do to help yourself feel better when you're struggling? I'm kind of strapped for time since I am a single mom, but like just like going out with my daughter and doing something isn't really self, but it's like that is what brings me happiness and peace. So just like that special time with her. What do you think the community can do to prevent more kids from needing to come into care? Providing better services for parents. There's so there's like funding for foster care that like they pay people sometimes who don't have the best intentions instead of trying to do like early intervention with parents. There should be more education when people are pregnant about what it really is like to have a child. And there should be early services if somebody is struggling with an addiction when they're pregnant or there needs to be better like mental health facilities and rehabs for parents. That funding needs to go to parents because at the end of the day, a lot of parents in the system do fail their children, but most of them do love their kids. There needs to be better access for those parents to get it together for their kids like that needs to be more of the focus I feel like instead of what it is now because there's just not enough homes and there's not enough safe places for children so I feel like there just needs to be more targeting for making it easier for parents to get their kids back to even not even lose them yeah right. I feel like what she was saying about mental health to make an appointment to get put on medicine which being put on medicine would help a lot of people who are addicts stay because off they're their drugs self-medicating. because it, ta- it takes forever. Yeah. Like, it took me three months to get into the doctor to be seen. And it's like, so in three months, I'm like going crazy in my head. But there's yes, nothing God, I can you do. were strong enough to stay sober during these three months. A lot of people but aren't. That's because I had, I have such an, a supportive system, though. But it took forever yeah. to, like, be seen. And I'm, like, sitting there, like, I know I need to be put back right. on meds because, like, I'm not sleeping. Yeah. I'm awake all the time. I'm tired all the time. There is nobody that had availability like I think I called three different ones and the closest one I could get was three months away they definitely don't make it easy to acquire mental health services and you know if they did they could save money by not having to bring kids into care absolutely they could what are your goals to make positive change in our community yeah I do want to be a foster parent I believe in God so like possibly something through like a church where there's just like a healing ministry and I want to make big change because I feel like everything in my life happened for a reason I don't want my experiences to just be for nothing big thing to me that I've spoken about a lot. I want to change laws for victims of sexual abuse. If you're 13, they can only put you in jail for 12 years. If it happens to you while you're 13, and if it happens to you while you're 12, they can give you a life sentence. That's something that... So why is that 13-year-old less valuable than that 12-year-old? Just like enacting change, and not just for sexual abuse, but just for like kids in general, just making sure that there there's not just a slap on the wrist, like you have to protect them, making sure that it's that kids are treated like human beings and not just like, I mean, garbage. Yeah. 
like not just human beings, but like the most valuable freaking treasure in the world. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely thank you because you uh, taught me a lot for my kids. Well, I'm glad. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social. We hope that you join us again next time and keep on fostering the future.